This is the Brewer to Brewer podcast from All About Beer, a conversation that goes beyond the brew house and into topics that matter to brewing professionals and curious beer drinkers. Visit allaboutbeer.com and follow on social media to support journalism in the beer space. Check out patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. I'm Jeffrey Stuffings of Jester King Brewery, and this week I'm talking to my friend Christopher Johnson of Green Bench Brewing in St. Pete, Florida. Uh, we'll get into this in just a minute, but first this message. First Tea is a proud sponsor of the Brewer to Brewer podcast. They've been working with brewers on a wide range of ingredients and delicious beers. First Tea combines the flexibility of order sizes with the experience you need to create innovative and successful tea beers. They get you the most direct from farm tea selection, so you are working with flavorful and consistent products. You can find more about First Tea's collaborations with brewers and tea ingredients by visiting blog.firsttea.com. That's blog.firsdtea.com. Well, Chris, great to see you uh, and talk to you as always. Uh, for those listening, Chris is uh, one of my very best friends in the brewing industry. We've known each other now for a number of years and uh, have a lot in common, both professionally and personally. So it's always uh, a joy to talk to uh, one of, I think, the best people in beer. Uh, Chris, uh, first off, uh, before we get into it, how are you doing? Good to see you. What's, what's new? Hey, pal. Uh, I'm doing good. Um, it's really hot here, as I'm sure it is there in Texas. We're in, we're in Florida, so it's obviously like super hot. And uh, it's our slow season, so we're you know dealing with that, which is tough, especially, ironically, coming off of last year, um, we were shocked that our summer is always our slowest season, but ironically, last year was surprisingly better than normal, um, and this year was like worse than normal. So it was just a it's a transition, you know. It's, it seasons happen and businesses figure it out, but um, I'm doing well, and uh, yeah, excited that, to talk uh, to you. Thanks for that having is, me. Uh, eerily familiar because we experienced the same damn thing. We had a really strong 21 during the same time period. Uh, I think, you know, we were largely out of COVID restrictions last summer, but still, I think because we had so much space and outdoor seating, like people were pretty much flocking to us where we had a really strong 21 and like 22 started off pretty good. But right around like May, we had first off like an early summer. And then, yeah, we've had one of the slowest summers we've ever had. Like it's been it's kind same. of brutal, man. <laughs> yeah. Dude, it's been the same, man. We we have the same thing. Like obviously COVID restrictions, and then we popped out of them. And then last year we were like usually usually we have a um, we get slowed down really hard in June. It's like usually right when it starts. And so it's like June, uh, you know, July, August, September, October is like really when it starts to kind of come back. And then we have a huge winter time because everyone snowbirds and you know big tourist destination and we have great weather, you know, for nine months out of the year, you know, we have phenomenal weather. And so that's what usually happens. And then last year, June hit and we prepared for a shutdown, uh, never came. Like it just was, it was our record June in 2021. And then July was a little slower, but still better than normal. And even August was better than normal last year. And then it, we really didn't see I kind of hit until we got to like, for us, like the hurricane season, you know, it's raining every evening. That's, you know, it happens right now to like through September mostly. And uh, 
So that was rough last year, but this year is like way worse. Like we hit June like first and it was like a wall and it just like sales just stopped. Like wholesale died. Um, it just, even on-site sales were down pretty heavily. Um, it's r- record, arguably one of the hardest summers that we've had, but um, we're almost through it luckily. So yeah. but it was hard, hard to predict, you know? Yeah, our summer is uh, other people's winter. I, I tell people that all the yeah. time. Like historically, we're slow from kind of like Fourth of July to Labor Day is like our deadest period of the year. It started a little earlier this year because May was like 105 degrees Hot. out, which, which really yeah. sucked. And then you know, you know, gas prices, inflation, you know, economic fears, recession fears. Like, yeah, our, our you know our distro wholesale has been fine. Um, arguably, that's been better than, than it ever has. But our on-site is like. We're, we're trending like, you know, I think right now we're like t- around 20% like off of last year's pace. And we've never, yeah. had, other than like COVID itself, we've not had a dips like dips like that before. So yeah, I, th- yeah. I think, I think year to date right now, we're year to date. We're not bad. You're, I think we're like maybe 7% off of last year, but I think like summer, like if I take like June to now, we're like 13, 14% off of last year's, um, so it was a uh, and and wholesale's actually has been it's great to hear it's been good for you well, at least wholesale been steady yeah um we had i think july was like arguably one of the worst julys in wholesale we've ever had which is huh. also kind of weird but you know is what it is trends are not something that uh matter in 12 months is really what happens in the beer world because you know it's constantly evolving and changing so uh, but yeah, we're, like I said, we're almost out of it, but it's been a weird, weird few months. Oh, for sure. We're looking forward to the fall. I mean, we start to see a little bit of like coming back to life this past weekend with like school back in session and the temperatures finally, you know, knocking wood, they've kind of finally broken where it's like high of like 90 instead of like literally yeah. high of 105. So yeah, that's, for real. That's, been, that's been good. Well, Hey man, I want to, um, so I want to talk a little bit about, um, Florida and the Florida beer scene, um, kind of like spanning out like macro, looking back in time for listeners who may not know i grew up i went through kindergarten through high school just down the road from green bench in bradenton florida to the south and just even though i chose not to you know uh, live in florida and move away and pursue a, a career in texas uh I, you know florida is still very near and dear to my heart which i think is you know one of the reasons that chris and i have become such good friends so tell me about like getting into the beer scene when you were coming up as an amateur brewer and then making the transition to pro and just like how that scene has evolved over the last, you know, more than a decade. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, for one, I'm, I'm also a bit of a transplant as well. I'm, I wasn't born in Florida. I'm not from Florida. Um, I was born in Tennessee and Memphis and I moved here when I was like 10. Uh, but I've been here since. Right. So I also went through like middle school and high school here. And then I went to college at university of South Florida um and yeah i it it really started there well for me it actually started kind of in middle school and right around that time because in the in the 90s my my mid 90s my father was a home brewer and he just picked that up as like a hobby and uh i remember jj would like my dad he would like uh he'd make stuff like he started with extract and you know he would do in like sort of partial mashes later on and um he uh he got kicked out of the house from my stepmom because it was smelling weird and and i was i was too young to like really know or maybe even care at the time what he was doing 
but I would like help him, you know, take stuff out and whatever. So he would drink his home brews and, and he had a pretty sophisticated setup from like looking back, you know, we had a cooler in the garage or a, a refrigerator in the garage with a tap drilled into it and corny kegs. And um, he would make his own labels and we would go to like the Bucks games, like the Tampa Buccaneers, like we had uh, season tickets growing up. So I would go to games with him and he was like the coolest dude at the party, like tailgate, like he was the coolest guy. Cause he would show up, he'd be grilling brats and he'd whip out bottles of his own home brews with like labels that were named after like uh, players on the team. So it was like nice. Brooks wow. Brown Ale and like Allstott Amber and like Lynch's Pilsner and uh, you know, uh, Dilf Dilfer's Double. Yeah, worked well. Oh, Dunn was my favorite. He was actually my favorite player. And I was like, I had oh, 28 yeah. jersey. That was my guy. Oh, yeah. He's just like a champion of a human being, too. Like, with all the work he's done. Yeah. For poor people. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, and that was his whole thing. Like, he does, like, he, 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 you know, helps families that are single moms. And so he would, like, had this huge organization here where he would give a house to a family that was, you know, of a single mother and children because he grew up that way. Well, and his mother actually, his mother actually was a law enforcement officer who died in the, in, you know, in the line of duty. And so he had helped raise his, his siblings and yeah, he's the best. So he was like kind of my role model growing up. Um, and my, my dad would set it up where like, I couldn't go to games unless I got good grades. Like that was the only reason I cared about school was to go watch the Bucks play and watch work done. So my dad was like, you know, he was into home brewing. By the time I was like old enough to understand what he was doing, he had kind of jumped hobbies a little bit. Um, and kind of sold all his stuff. And later on, like I get to college, you fast forward. What that meant for me as a foundation was that I understood that there were other things involved. Like, like there were, um, you know, there were other, there were beers outside of the macro sort of understanding of beer, right? Like I knew there were things like brown ale. I knew there were things like Pilsner. I knew there were things like IPA, uh, which he was really in IPAs. And so what we would do is like, uh, or when I turned 21, him and I, like I, the first beer I purchased, I went to the store and I bought like a 12 pack of Sierra Nevada Torpedo. Um, and so like, that was the foundation of like, sort of my getting into beer. And then I started to, uh, I, I switched majors in college, had a little more time on my hands, decided I wanted to change majors or, and then, and then decided I want a hobby based upon that. And I knew like, I was like, you know, my dad homebrewed when I was a kid, if he could do it, I could do it kind of thing. And uh, he looked like he enjoyed it. Let me start homebrewing. So I picked up homebrewing in college. Uh, me and my, my buddy, Teddy, uh, we went and bought homebrew equipment and we made beer in my like apartment. And then I just like caught the bug there basically. Um, like right before I brewed, I spent, like I realized when I was like, I want to homebrew. I realized really quick, like I didn't know anything about beer. So I spent about a year before we bought that equipment, just drinking beer and being like, let me figure out if I even like this before I invest, you know, the money and time into it. And uh, so I pulled up like just the free BJCP app and I would get a mix six pack of whatever style and I'd go home and I'd drink it over the weekend and would, you know, just study it as I was drinking it. And so I think within a year, I kind of had a good foundation of what made what, you know, like what, what beers needed to smell like and taste like and how they're made and just, just a guideline. Um, and so then once I started homebrewing, it all made a little bit more sense to me, I think, than a lot of people that jumped right in. 
um, because of my father into me first drinking and then into me brewing beer. Um, so I, I kind of made a little bit of a name for myself as a home brewer here locally. And then Cigar City around that time, it just opened. And so I had, you know, I had, I had High Lie, which was, you know, all the rage uh, here for sure. And I went in one day and was introduced to like their beers in a way that blew my mind. Um, and then they hired me eventually. Like I, I went and volunteered there for a day and I hung out with Wayne, the brewmaster and uh, Tim Ogden was brewing at the time too there. And um, yeah, I just kind of got to know the brew team and then they, they gave me a job. I worked there for about a year. Um, they fired me and then, uh, and then I ended up like, you know, at that point I was just like, I either like literally once I got fired from Cigar City, it was literally kind of a, a weird fork in the road. Do I want to pursue this or something else? And the other thing in my life at the time was actually sports broadcast was doing like radio for the, the bulls. Like I was at USF, I was going there and I was, you know, doing football games and basketball games and volleyball, baseball, like on the radio with a couple guys that worked at the radio station with me. And I was the programming director there. And I had to decide like kind of at that point what I wanted to do. And I decided to sort of produce, produce or pursue beer uh, based upon that and produce beer. And um, yeah, that's kind of how it started for me. Well, I have no doubt you would have been just as, just as successful in sports broadcasting as you have been in beer, uh, given your, uh, your personality and uh, uh, communication skills. So um, anyway, I, I want to say you chose wisely, but man, you, 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 do, you do great in whatever, uh, whatever you chose. Um, so, you know, you mentioned Cigar City, which was also one of my bring inspirations. You know, my grandmother, who's now like 98, still alive, you know, lives in Sarasota, Florida. Whenever I go down and visit her, I'd always go, I was getting into beer around the same time. Uh, I think more or less like kind of that, you know, 20, 2006, seven, eight, it's like really when I made the jump from like macro lager to craft beer. And I remember going to visit my grandmother around that time in Sarasota and discovering Cigar City and getting into like the Humidor series. And then, and then for, for me, um, you know, uh, just throwing out like some of my inspirations, like, you know, another gateway place in addition to like Cigar City was like, like Dogfish and Brooklyn. I was in Boston for a period of time. So those were like some of the, them and Harpoon were like some of the East Coast beers that I would drink regularly as well as Allagash. And then when I started getting into wild and spontaneous and farmhouse, like, you know, beers from Russian River, Jolly Pumpkin, like ultimately like Contion. So, you know, that those are kind of, you know, some of the breweries that have inspired us the most as, you know, an American farmhouse brewery. But like, what are, I mean, you mentioned Cigar City already, but like, what are some of like the breweries or beers that really like made you want to pursue this professionally? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. I would say, I mean, to your point, yeah, you know, looking at the landscape back then, especially in Florida was, I mean, it was fairly bare, you know, like I, I know obviously you spent a lot of time, you said in, in like Boston and then in Chicago before that, uh, or after that rather. Um, but uh, we didn't have like the import scene that, you know, those cities have and or regions. Like we're a pretty big import state, but it's like, you know, it's Corona. That's our import beer. Um, and I would say, like, the, the, there, there were a couple beers that I had that kind of, like, changed my life. Like, I would say, and I don't even mean, like, in the beer sense. Like, they changed how I thought about things outside of beer, too. And, and really what I meant was, what I mean by that is that it, it put some perspective for me. It, like, built some guardrails of, okay, like, 
you think you know something, but you don't, but you realize, you know, nothing. <laughs> like it was kind of like those kind of moments. And um, the first one actually, and at the time I was like really into, I was into two really styles when I started homebrewing. It was IPAs and it was Saison. And it was for two different reasons. Like obviously one IPAs, they were aggressive, but they were interesting. And they, they brought some to the table in a way that kind of, they really punched me in the face a little bit. And, you know, like really shook you. Um, Sasan was perfect for me because I really liked, I found later on for a, as, a, as in like finding a vocabulary for it, I really liked beers that were dry. I liked beers that were, that had bitterness and had character and had dryness and had bubbles. Like I love effervescence. And, and so that style really resonated with me without me realizing at the time that that's what I was drawn to. Um, and so I would, and it also helped that I was in Florida. So like, you don't need temperature control kind of thing. Like that was also why Saison was a big deal for me. Uh, it's actually why I started making them. And then it just snowballed into, you know, my passion for them. Um, but the first beer that really kind of changed me was Stone Ruination, actually. Um, it was like, it just come to Florida and I was at like Teddy, the guy I homebrewed with for the first time. He had graduated uh, college at UT, University of Tampa. And we went to this place down the road. It was called The Grape. It was like a, like a wine bar restaurant thing in, in Tampa. And we went there and this guy, the waiter was like, hey, you guys like craft beer? And we're like, sure, dude, like, I guess. And he's like, we got this new beer and it's called Stone Ruination. So he brings a 12 ounce bottle out and we pop it and we pour it and it blew my mind. Like I, I, I shared it with Teddy because I couldn't drink the whole thing. It was so bitter and I didn't know what to do with it. Like I, you know, it just, it, it, I wasn't ready for like that beer. And that's how I felt. Like I, I'm not prepared for this thing. Um, the next one was actually another stone beer later on. And by this point, months had gone by and I felt like I had, you know, learned a lot from that experience and learned since that experience. And I got a beer called Sublimely Self-Righteous. It was there like, it, said, yeah. it just said black ale on the bottle. And I was like, okay, whatever, let's get it. I love those guys, like whatever. So I pop it up and I pour it and I, I'm, you know, completely black beer, you know, dense, sort of like off-white, almost like ivory foam like damn near tan, but not quite. And I go to, and I'm like, okay, it's going to be, you know, roasty and chocolatey and, and all these, you know, black malt characteristics. And I go to smell it and it smells like a pine forest and citrus. And I'm like, taken aback, right? This, I know nothing again. Like it just, it forced me back to just like not understanding what the fuck was going on. And so, yeah, that, that just blew my mind. And then the, la the third beard that really did it for me was when I went to Cigar City that day and I had, uh, I was sitting at the bar and some guy was next to me. He literally spun around towards me and he's like, hey, you ever had Hunapu? And I'm like, dude, I don't want your drugs. Like, I don't know what you're trying to sell me. Like, I don't. And <laughs> so he describes me this beer. He's like, this is Im it's this imperial style with chocolate, vanilla, cinnamon, ancho, pasilla, chili peppers. And I'm like, that doesn't make any fucking sense. So he orders me a beer. He's like, you have to try it. And I, and it did just absolutely shake me. Like it just was an unbelievable experience that I just didn't understand. And that was the day I met everyone there. And I would say like, so for me, those beers were like foundationally prepared me to not expect anything like you know that's that's how i felt about beer at that point like i got through those three and i was like okay anything someone pours you no expectations jump on it right like it like it could it could taste like something you've had before it could taste something you recognize it could taste something you don't even know 
Um, and I think those were kind of the first ones that really got me into it. Obviously, like with Saison, we had Bob Sylvester here. So I would drink like Athene was something that I could get around town that I would drink a good amount of. Um, I would drink, you know, we can get um, Saison Dupont was around so I could I could get that. But again, Florida wasn't a massive import market. So there were a lot of beers that later on became the foundations of some of like Saison and farmhouse sale beers that like I couldn't get at the time um, that I had to kind of make them in order to try some of those things. I will say one of the beers that did that, that like, I think, I think by that moment I was, I, I had a, I had a pretty good grasp on where I wanted to go with sort of farmhouse sale and Saison. And this is the beer that was brought to me. There were two beers that were brought to me from someone else um, that like literally was, I was working at a homebrew shop in Tampa. So they're bringing winemaking. We opened a brewery there and it was where I worked before we opened Green Bench. And um, a regular, it was a home brewer, brought some beers in and we could get one of them at the time, um, but I hadn't like visited it yet. Uh, and one of them was, was Bambeer, which is like, mm-hmm. Absolutely. With Jolly Pumpkins, Bam Beer just blew my mind. Like that beer was incredible. And the other one was this beer. He's like, dude, I went to this brewery. They have the coolest like property ever. They're in Texas in the hill country. It's this place called Jester King. And he literally had this 750 of Noble King. And I was like, fuck yeah, let's go. He pops it open. And yeah, I mean, that beer, that beer was, I was like, okay. This is like, I, I do feel like I'm on the right track in understanding uh, the style and understanding, um, I guess, what I like from this style. Uh, and that was a formative beer for me. That was one of the beers that I was like, I've been making Saison for a couple of years now. And this is, this is kind of, I, I, I think I'm on the right track here. Like this direction of that. And that beer was the one that kind of confirmed that for me. Right on. I appreciate that, Chris. And um, to return the compliment, your Grisette remains one of the best examples of the style I've, I've ever had and just one of the most like drinkable and enjoyable farmhouse ales that I've ever had in any any country. Um, yeah, props to Bob as well. I mean, around the time I was getting into Jolly Pumpkin, I was also getting into the Saint somewhere. Um, you also reminded me that Black IPA was a thing for a period of time there. I totally <laughs> forgot about that moment in time. But, uh, and then uh, Ruination, yeah, that was another uh, beer that I was really, really stoked on in my early days of brewing and was kind of disappointed when not that I had like had it in years it's one of those things where like you know I hadn't drank it forever but then I saw they discontinued it I was like oh you know I know I felt the same way I was, well, which is that's what's so funny it's like part of me is like I'm upset but I was like but I didn't help like I haven't been drinking it in however long yeah. <laughs> um well let's uh let's shift gears slightly um you know one thing that you know if someone uh just like off the street asked me like hey what what's Jester King's legacy. I mean, I would be tempted to say very much, you know, an answer along the lines of, of beer and our contribution to the beering scene, especially American farmhouse brewing. But, um, you know, I also feel that like we're in a city like, like a lot of, you know, modern American cities where um, it's absolutely essential that there be like original cultural fabric for the city. I mean, you know, there's so much just homogeneity in the broader economic you know, especially food and beverage and beer world. And I feel like it's a tide we constantly have to to push back against. And so, you know, if someone said, you know, the legacy of Jester King is you created like some authentic cultural fabric in your hometown, 
I would say that that's amazing. Sign me up. That that's great. When I go and visit Greenbench, I always get the feeling that you know there's a unique culture that it is a true landmark in the city of St. Petersburg. And then also following you as well as you know Greenbench, I feel like that's something that you all are like consciously like think about, you know, do stuff to promote that it's not just like an afterthought that like being like a cultural landmark is something that that's part and parcel of, of your brewery. So yeah, tell me, tell me if I'm on base there or not. Yeah, we actually don't care about the community at all. Uh, no, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, no, it is, it is actually really important to us, man. We, um, I think, uh, I mean, the, some of the foundations of the brewery itself were built like hanging out around a fire, home brewing, in food, and talking about this vision, talking about what we wanted this to be like, talking about the kind of place we wanted to provide. And, um, and I think at the very core of all of that was St. Petersburg. At the very core of that was our city and our town. And, um, you know, we'd all had, we all had moved away. We'd all lived other places. Um, we'd experienced amazing things, whether that be living somewhere or traveling somewhere. And I think what, what we always came back to, um, and this is still, I think, what, um, what uh, an inspiration for me, at least, especially on our, on our product and experience side, has been, why not St. Pete? Like, why can't St. Pete have these things? Um, I think the most important part of being able to build something is understanding where you start, where you begin. And I, and, and I think we, we always never wanted to lose sight of that. We always wanted to say, well, no matter what we want to add to St. Petersburg, let's make sure that we understand what St. Petersburg has been through, um, what it means to be a St. Petian, what it means to uh, to live here, to to have grown up here, to maybe even been born here, to be a third, fourth, fifth generation St. Petian, um, and and that was always like a part of the discussion, like no matter what. Um, and so yeah, it's 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 super vital to us. I think our city is unique in that we are a we are we're a city that cares about the things around us in a way that some other places I've lived hasn't. And that's not something we wanted to lose. Matter of fact, what we wanted to do was we wanted to highlight that. You know, we wanted to shine a spotlight on the fact that St. Pete uniquely, uniquely in, you know, I've lived in the Tampa Bay area in a bunch of places. I've lived other places in Florida. I've lived uh, outside of Florida. And I do think there's something that's that is like, it's just uniquely St. Pete to care about what's going on here um, and to care about how we treat it. Um, and so that's always been like a huge part of what we care about. Like we, we say like, like our, our sort of motto when we were building our business plan and, and the part of our mission statement was, um, you know, uh, brew quality, build community. Like that was always like what we wanted to do. We wanted to make sure that number one, whatever we brought to St. Petersburg was worthy of St. Petersburg, right? It had to be good enough for St. Petersburg, which as far as I'm concerned is the best there can possibly be. And so I strive to be the best that we can possibly be all the time. Um, and, and, I, and I try to take that as a responsibility more so than, you know, um, than just like a, 
an afterthought. Like it's truly something that I feel. Um, I want to represent our city and I hope that I've done that in a way that um, people here would be proud of. I hope that, you know, anytime I leave this city or this state, uh, this country, and I talk about us, I talk about us in a way that people here would be proud of because I'm proud to live here. I'm proud of the people that are here and I'm proud of, I'm proud of how much people care, man. I don't know how to like really describe it, to be honest with you. Like it's such a vibe here, man. It's such a, like a, the people here truly care and, and it, it fuels me. It, it, it builds an energy within me and it builds, it builds this like just an incredible energy um, that just makes me want to be better for the city. And I don't see that everywhere. I don't, I don't see that sometimes like 30 minutes away from me or 20 minutes away from me. Um, there's something really unique about this area. And so, yeah, I, the, the truth is, is we wanted to build something that was economically going to help the city, wanted to build something that was culturally going to help the city, wanted to build something that was going to last in this city. Um, and we wanted to be a, a focus point so that other people could be inspired to bring creativity and excellence to this city. And that's why we did it. That's why we opened a brewery. You know, we opened here in 2013. We turned nine this year. And um, when we opened on this street, everyone thought we were crazy because there was nothing over here. And now it's vibrant where we are. Um, and we were the first, you know, we, we changed the zoning laws in St. Petersburg for breweries to even exist. Not, not just for our brewery to exist. Like we consciously wanted there to be a ton of breweries to exist because we wanted that growth. We wanted people to be excited. We wanted people to reinvest in the place they, the place that they lived so that it could make a, a uh, just a, a more enjoyable place for all of us. And now there's, you know, damn near 20 breweries or so in St. Petersburg alone, um, which, you know, there's only 300,000 people or so in our city technically. And so, you know, we, we've, we've, I think we've built something pretty special. Um, by no means are we obviously the only, you know, part of that, but I, it feels pretty good to, to, to know that we've been a part of that. Um, and yeah, and, and the next thing is just building opportunity. I'd say that's the last part is making sure that once we build this thing, we then use this position to continue to drive opportunity to people and places that feel like and have ever been told that that didn't exist. Um, and that's sort of the next step. Um, that's what we've, I think, been doing for a few years now, once we got to the point of being established and, you know, got the business running, got established our location, established our plan and our vision. The next step was phase two was making sure to sort of reinvest some of that knowledge, energy and resources that we had built um, or that we could generate back into the people around us um, and the places around us. And there's nothing, there's, there's hardly anything more rewarding than that. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. Yeah, and I can, I can attest, having grown up down the road, you know, once you cross over into St. Pete, yeah, it is, it's special. It, it, it really is just a, a wonderful community. Uh, and you and Greenbench are, I'd say, a pretty integral part of that. All right, we're going to take a short break for this message and then come right back for more of this conversation with Christopher Johnson of Greenbench Brewing. First Tea is a proud sponsor of the Brewer to Brewer podcast. They've been working with brewers on a wide range of ingredients and delicious beers. First Tea combines the flexibility of order sizes with the experience you need to create innovative and successful tea beers. They get you the most direct from farm tea selection, so you are working with flavorful and consistent products. 
You can find more about First Tea's collaborations with brewers and tea ingredients by visiting blog.firsttea.com. That's blog.f-i-r-s-d-t-e-a.com. All right, we're back with Chris Johnson from Greenbench. Uh, Chris, I want to get a little technical now. You know, probably some brewers and uh, home brewers listening uh, to this show. So um, let's talk. I want to actually let's start off with farmhouse. Um, you know, you and I first bonded over uh, farmhouse beer. I'm pretty sure we met at one of the Crooked Stave, What the Funk uh, festivals, and. I think you had some grisette you were pouring and um, that was the first beer I ever had from Green Bench. And like I said before, it was, you know, to this day, still one of my favorite farmhouse beers. And, um, you know, you talked about your background with the style and, you know, how it was one of your early motivations. So, you know, from a technical perspective, like what are you looking for in farmhouse? Like what makes a good farmhouse beer to you? Uh, that's a that's such a good question. So, uh, okay, to start, the first time we actually met was no, wrong. It, no, no, no. You, you're pretty close. You're pretty close. It was at a what the funk event, but I was not pouring. Ah, okay. It was, it was like one of the really early ones. We had just opened our brewery and I went out there and I think I met, I met you inside. I met a guy in line who had a, it was the beer diaries uh, guy. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who also used to be like, he was like the founder of Bioware, which is one of like my favorite video game companies before, before that. And I met him in line. I just recognized, him. I was like, dude, you made like, you made Knights of the Republic. That's one of my favorite games ever. And so we walked inside and he, he knew you. And so I met you there. That's when we first met. But then you had my beers like the next, I would say like seven, eight months later, CBC was in town at this in Denver as well. And so they had another what the funk and that's i think when i had preset and um yeah so anyway just an aside yeah quick um, shout out to, uh, to greg greg zestrick was uh greg was, yes yeah man yeah, who now uh, has a brewery in edmonton canada but uh anyway please continue which is where he's from so he went back home and opened a brewery awesome uh also again one of my favorite video games ever um so farmhouse sale i think um there's a few elements that I like the most out of farmhouse sales. And, and I guess this might segue nicely into another conversation we might have, um, which is people ask me a lot of times, like I get, I'm sure you get the same, maybe you don't, <laughs> maybe you don't get the same question. I get this question a lot, which is what is your favorite beer style? Because I, I do make a lot of different styles of beer. And so, and, I'm, and now you do too, but I, for the longest time you were kind of making, you know, some narrowed, uh, focused things. And I think like, so what I would say to people was always like, I, I really kind of have two styles of beer that I think are my favorites, right? At least right now it's, it's, you know, Pilsner and, you know, farmhouse sort of more specifically, maybe like table beer, Brett focused table beer, like it's kind of arguably my favorite. And, and the reason I picked those two is because I, I don't think there's, as many differences as there are between those two things, there's like more similarities. Generally speaking, they're kind of, they're typically pale beers. They're typically very dry. They're typically kind of bitter. They're typically very effervescent. They're typically, they typically check the boxes for me that uh, are drinkability. And fermentation is extremely important in both of them. 
that without that part, they don't exist in sort of the way that we enjoy them. Um, obviously on one side, the fermentation for sort of Saison farmhouse beers are going to be, you know, fermentation forward where the characteristics that we get from that beer are generated and or enhanced from the fermentation, right? Like you can have hoppy farm, farmhouse sales, you can have multi farmhouse sales, but none of those two don't exist without fermentation forward character in each one of those. And, and I, I love that nuance. I love that character that fermentation can bring to these other elements that the beer can have, right? On the other side with Pilsner, what I love about Pilsner is ultimately, you, you almost want a beer that's devoid of fermentation. You want a beer that is, when you drink it, the fermentation is so clean and so technically like precise that you're getting malt and you're getting hops and like, that's kind of it. Otherwise just carbonation, which is in both of them, generally fairly high. If we're talking German pills, obviously there's exceptions to this rule on either side, but I, I generally like that character. And I think that's what, that was what drew me initially to farmhouse sale. Um, I love the open endedness of farmhouse sale. With that said, I'm, 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 you know, I'm a traditionalist. Like I, you know, I, I like traditional beers a lot. I don't like to be boxed into just making traditional beers, but I'll tell you what, like when you can nail a traditional beer repetitively, that makes you skilled enough, I think, to make arguably the best of the sort of outside the box beers. Um, and that, that, that's not like a, that's not like across the board but it's like a chef in some ways, right? Like when you master the basics, it's a lot easier, not easier, you're, you're more prepared rather to utilize those tools to create almost any flavor or um, character that you want in your dish. Um, and, I, and I feel like, I feel that way about farmhouse sale. I feel like, I feel like when I can make a great Pilsner, it makes me a better farmhouse brewer. You know what I mean? You know, uh, something that otherwise is strictly opposite. There's so many similarities that I find between those styles. Um, yeah, man, I just, I love the drinkability of them. That's, I guess that's ultimately what I love about them. I love the, I love the root of raw grain. I love the root of just like, it's, it's very ingredient based, you know, the, all the ingredient based. That's, that's my favorite part about it. Yeah. You know, I, our, um, original, um, uh... You know, uh, head brewer uh, Garrett Crowell. I remember him saying that you know Cezanne is really just like farmhouse pilsner at its at its core. And so I, I totally concur. Um, I should know this, but like, have you experimented both with like pure culture farmhouse as well as like mix? Obviously, mixed firm. Like I've had you know uh, like dozens of mixed firm beers from Green Bench, but like I'm curious if you've ever done like pure culture uh, farmhouse styles as well. It's a great question. Um, actually, um, as Green Bench, no. Um, we, you know, I, was, I experimented with it at other breweries that I worked at um, uh, and home brewing before that years ago. But here at Green Bench, you know, when we opened, I wanted Saison, I wanted farmhouse sale as a whole, not Saison, but like farmhouse sale as a whole to be such an important part of who we were for a couple reasons. One of them is, you know, there wasn't a lot to have around here, right? Like we, 
like I said, we had Bob, which is awesome. And he was for sure a major inspiration on me. Um, and, and still is today. Like I still talk to him regularly and he still drinks my beers and gives me feedback and it, it's awesome. Like, so that, that's a huge part of it. Um, I would say that like, I couldn't, like part of the reason we do a lot of the things here at Greenbench is because I can't, readily, I can't readily get a lot of the things that I want here, right? <laughs> That's like a big part of it. Like I, I built, we built Web City Cellar because we couldn't get Web City Cellar anywhere else. You know, like that was a part of the deal, right? Like we, we make mixed culture beer because I, I couldn't get a lot of mixed culture beer here at the time. When we opened our doors in 2013, we started with a fooder. We were the first brewery in the southeast of the country that had one. And I was reaching out to, you know, Chad and uh, Chad Jacobson from Cricket Stave. And I was reaching out to Gabe Fletcher and I was reaching out to Ron Jeffries. And, you know, I was just like asking anyone I could, like, how, what is it like to use one? Like, what's the process? How do you clean it? How do you, how do you ferment it? And I got a different response from every single person that, you know, had one, uh, which is great because it meant that, there isn't a universal thing. We're still all figuring this out. And, and so we created our own process based upon that here at Greenbench. And I wanted to do something unique. What I wasn't prepared for, rather, let me back up. What I, what I wasn't um, confident in, maybe that's the right word. Um, I wasn't confident in my abilities to create my favorite element of farmhouse ale, which is a house culture, some kind of house flavor, some kind of uniqueness to the style that I wanted to bring to the table, that I wanted to say, you know, I, I obviously I wanted the, the quality in the beer to be able to stand up to what I thought were the best, but I wanted it to taste different than the best. Like I, I didn't want it to taste synonymous and I didn't want it to taste ubiquitous. Like I wanted it to be unique. And that's my favorite element of farmhouse oil, is that it can be Pilsner, you know, but it's a unique pilsner. It's like a unique version. It's a it's a fingerprint of it. Um, and and so I got a fooder because frankly I wasn't confident in my ability to like repitch a culture uh, that I was building for ever, <laughs> like to harvest and pitch and har I just I didn't think I could do it. And so the idea was to to have a fooder that I could pitch these wild yeasts in and add over time and develop and then create a house culture. Now, most of our farmhouse sales are, are really almost all of them, not most of them, but well, definitely most of them, not all of them though, are, um, are, sat, are like yeast based. They don't really have bacteria. We'll blend that in whenever we want to do some like mixed culture stuff. And every once in a while, we'll use mixed culture to like create, you know, sort of I guess, you know, American or mixed culture farmhouse sales, like more sour focused, you know, acidity focused beers. Most of our farmhouse sales, saisons, table beers, grisette, for example, are all yeast forward beers. So our fooder has, when we pitched it at least four yeast strains, it was two bread strains, two sac diastaticus strains. And, you know, we ferment in the fooder and then we bottle condition. And eventually, pretty quick, once we sort of blended these together, we had a character that tasted different, like similar in a lot of ways, but not exactly the same as anyone else's on the table. And that's what I was going for. I was trying to create a fingerprint. I was trying to create 
a stamp to say like, this is our version of this thing that we love. Um, and Grisette, to your point, is actually, Grisette's a, um, Grisette's 100% Britannomyces fermented beer. It's Brett C and Brett Jury from BSI that we ferment. Actually, that one's fermented in stainless. It's a stainless fermentation with Britannomyces and then bottle conditioned. And that's like about a three month, three to four month beer. It takes about four to six weeks in stainless and then the rest in bottle conditioning. And then that's that beer. Yeah, pure chef's kiss on that one, man. It's it's so so flipping good. Um, you know, uh, there's one more riff on like Pilsner as farmhouse or like the similarities. We make this beer, uh, it's with Live Oak Brewing in Austin called Collaborations Beer, where they give us their Pilsner, we ferment it in stainless steel with our mixed culture. And like, I mean, give it like months and it'll get like almost like super wild and funky. But like for the first like one to two months, it's just so beautiful. It's just like crisp Pilsner with just that little bit of like interesting yeast complexity, which, you know, I'm thinking of like, that reminds me of like Avon Debates uh, passage in, you know, Farmhouse Sales by Michael Markowski. They're talking about how like it's, it's crisp, it's dry, it's drinkable, it's bitter with just a little bit of interesting yeast character and like, it's just, I mean, you can tell, obviously, I mean, I, I wasn't like a dummy question, like, but you know, clearly we have very, very similar philosophies on, on farmhouse, which is, which is super cool. Um, we just like tasty things, Jeff, you and I. Yes, we do, sir. Uh, and by the way, shout out to Web City Cellars. I got to visit, uh, you know, COVID kind of, you know, kept me away for uh, a few years, but then I got to come to Green Bench uh, last March of this year. For food of her thought um and i really got to experience web city sellers for the first time and it is the most remarkably wonderful curated experience with beer and wine um i was just in heaven i could have spent like a week there just really doing a deep dive on on the whole portfolio there it was, it was yeah do, do yourself a favor and go to web city sellers and have a have a postcard pills uh, afterwards um thanks, right. thanks buddy i appreciate that <laughs> you got it man uh one thing i've been really impressed by uh of you you know yes your company but you personally is like all the uh social advocacy community impact work that you you've done i oftentimes like marvel of like where does chris find the time to to do all these awesome things outside of just running a business and you know being a, a partner and a dad um so, um, you know, I mean, for instance, you know, for those listening at home, you know, Chris is a, a professor of uh, brewing arts at University of South Florida as part of their diversity and brewing scholarship program. Uh, he's also been very active in beer culture and culture for the kids. Um, so just tell me a little bit about like that work and, you know, what you're doing and, you know, how it's impactful. Yeah. Um... Man, thanks for the opportunity to talk about that. That's, um, you know, I, I joke with um, Kristen, my partner, I'll tell her all the time, like, you know, like last night, for example, I, I, we had a, uh, a, a meeting last night for the MJF, the Michael James Jackson Foundation for Distilling that Garrett Oliver started um, that I'm on the board of. And we finalized our selections of candidates that will be awarded scholarships to brewing school and distilling school. And, you know, I've said several times to a lot of people, it is the most fun thing. It is the most rewarding thing. It is something that gives me chills, that makes me feel so good, like all the time 
more so than most things that I do on my daily basis, right? Which is business stuff and beer stuff, which is, I'm not complaining, but you know, it's, it, it, it is a job. It's like a, it's work. It's, and I, it's the work that I love, but man, when you give someone an opportunity to do something that they literally will say to you, and I've had people tell me this, I didn't think I had an opportunity to do this, or even I was even considered for it. There just is no feeling like it. Like there's, it, it's, it's the, it's a lot of work. It is a lot of time and it is a lot of energy and it's a lot of time out of my day and, and family and, and work, but it's, it's worth it completely. Um, so thank you for letting me talk about it. Cause it's just been, it's a lot of work, but it's, man, it's fun. We, so yeah, I'm, I'm one of the founding faculty members of the USF Brewing Arts Program. We started that about six years ago. So we teach brewing arts at the university, which has been awesome. Uh, we then send the students at the end of the course, which the course is online for the most part. So anyone, anywhere can kind of take it. And it requires uh, um, on-site training in a brewery. That, so you get to check off competencies, making sure you understand how to clean kegs and mash in and can or bottle or whatever, you know, whatever that brewery can do. The beauty is, is we, you know, we built a good amount of, I have a good network of people that I know now that if you're out of state or country or whatever, I can typically find a brewery that's willing to have you in as an intern that you can then, you know, work on those competencies and get those checked off. We have had uh, over 90% of the students that have gone through the course have either moved on to work in the industry or open their own breweries. Wow. And which is uh, yeah, it's, it's so incredible. Um, what's really cool about it is, is not everybody wants to open a brewery that, you know, that joins it. There are some people that are just like, I'm a home brewer and I want to learn more. So like part of that, you know, 10% is just people that that's not their dream anyway. Um, yeah. So really of the people that are interested, the percentage is even higher than that. Um, so yeah, I've been doing that for six years now. It's awesome. It's a great program. Um, I teach with some really, 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 really fascinating and interesting and, and smart people um, that, that help us. And, and the person that runs it, Jennifer Sedeo, she is world-class. She's a biologist. She's incredible. She actually uh, was one of my original, one of my first hires here in the production staff. She ran our, she started our lab for me because I really needed it. And she was, her and her husband were home brewers years ago. They were in my homebrew club. So she knows beer really well. And she she's not my boss she's like runs the program uh she's the best um in addition to that beer culture is a nonprofit that i'm the vice president of uh our focus is to diversify the beverage space the craft beverage space as a whole so not just beer but cider uh mead um in a wine kind of any spirits anything in the beverage space uh, craft wise, we not even just craft wise, we, we're down with anything. We're just trying to diversify this industry. Um, whether that be a person of color, whether that be women, whether that be, you know, whatever, we want to make sure it gets as diverse as possible. Our, the beer culture mission is to focus more specifically on people of color. Um, you know, I'm a person of color. Uh, the founder is uh douche and his wife Leticia. they they started this whole thing dom uh is the man he wrote a book called this ain't the beer you used to 
and you can find it on Amazon. It's great. And um, I've known, so I've, I, I met him years ago. They moved from the Bronx to Florida. He was working um, at a, a local business uh, called uh, Brew Bus to start with. He was driving the Brew Bus around and he would stop here at the brewery. I remember like hanging out and chatting with them for like 20 minutes, like while they went in to drink, him and I would just talk. And, and we, we started to gravitate towards each other because there weren't too many black people that were just around, right? And so we would just see each other and we would talk. And um, we got closer and we'd talk on the phone sometimes about our frustrations, um, you know, with being black people in the industry and how difficult that can be sometimes without people realizing it. And, um, and you know, he posed, some, he posed some really tough questions to me you know, that, that made me really think and made me realize, you know, like I, I, I have privilege, you know, like, and I, and I understand that uh, there are people that have less than me. And, and, um, and that was kind of the foundation of a lot of the work that I started working with him on, which was, you know, we finally got, we've got webs open, which was a hassle, which I'm thanks for the shout out. But once, once webs open, which is three years ago now, it's hard to believe. Although one year closed during the shutdown. Right. Um, once it got opened, I called him and I told him to come over. You know, he was here all the time anyway. So he came by to have a beer with me. And I said, yo, I want to start a charity tap. And he was like, what do you mean? I was like, I, I want a beer on tap at all times that when you pull from it, you pour a beer, we throw money to a charity. And I want that charity to be local. I mean, like hyper local, not just like not Florida, not Tampa Bay, like St. Pete, like in the city of St. Petersburg. And him and his wife, Leticia, had been doing charity work since they were like teenagers in, hmm. in the Bronx. Like, they're very involved. And so I asked for his help. So we decided to do a collaboration. It's called Culture, Culture uh, Chronicles. And so we ended up doing like these series of Culture Chronicles beers where, and he found the local nonprofit called Building Beds that builds beds for kids that don't have them. There's over 7,000 wow. kids in Pinellas County that est estimated that don't have kids, don't have beds to sleep on. So we would brew a beer, take money from it, donate it, build beds for kids. Like it was a whole, it was incredible. And so eventually Dom wanted to step down from beer culture. It was getting a lot for him personally. And, you know, it was just difficult for him to continue with some of the resistance that he was getting in the industry because Dom had built a name for himself and he was, you know, Deutsch was, was, a was became, was becoming a pretty important figure uh, in the context of the social scape of, of craft beer specifically. Uh, and with that comes a lot of backlash and comes a lot of um, uh, hurdles to sort of jump over that people were just placing in front of him, which is really, really difficult to deal with. And so he took a backseat a little bit and I was pretty fortunate, like, because uh, they, they called me one day, like a Sunday or something, and I'm on FaceTime with them, and it's him and Tisha and his wife, who's amazing. And they were like, Tisha's going to take over. And Tisha, like, had all these plans. Like, was like, we're turning a nonprofit. We're going to, like, over, like, she, and she black woman the shit out of it. Like, overnight, it just was like, there was a website, and it was organized. And there was, like, all these plans and mission statement and all this. Like, she just handled everything. And I was just like blown away with her organization and how fast it all happened and her execution. So I reached out to her, I was like, you know, one of the, one of the positions was like a craft, like specialist or expert or something on the board. And I said, 
I have, I know a lot of people. So like, if you need help, let me know. I would love to help you connect and, and build funds for beer culture. And she said, actually, I want you to be the vice president. I was like, so I thought about it for a couple of days and then I said, yes. And it's been incredible. We, we built the rest of the board. We interviewed everybody. We put everyone together. Our team is incredible. And we're constantly like helping people get into the industry that literally have told us we didn't think we could be a part of this, whether it be brewing schools, whether it be Cicerone certification, whether it be internships in writing for, about beer, you know, like we do, we have an internship just about that. We have an wow. internship about like, I mean, it's, it's incredible, man. We've, we've got like grants where we give $5,000, even outside of the beverage space to men, to people, to, to black men who are interested in opening a business. We're working on one right now uh, for women in the beer industry. That's going to be a grant. That's going to be incredible working with brave noise. And I mean, it's dude, it's going to be, we're doing such great work. Um, and it's just a testament to the team's passion and energy. And then her and I were asked to join the board at MJF as well. Uh, where, you know, we're, 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 that is a bit more of a narrow focus where it's funding scholarships to brewing and distilling schools for people of color, because, you know, there are, there are less people on the deck that are, of a diverse background than we need in this industry. And um, so I guess you couple all those things together and it's just been, it's been great, man. It's been so cool to be a part of. It's been so cool to contribute in a way that like gives people opportunities. And, and honestly, the response from the majority of breweries around the country have been amazing. They've been great at being like, yeah, I'll take on interns yeah, I'll take on this person that, you know, like is in brewery school and then they're hiring them and we're getting people jobs. Um, the Bronx Brewery, a big shout out to them. They work with us on an internship program, a paid internship program where a person of color through beer culture goes there and they get paid for like two months and they work there. And most of them have gotten jobs in the beer industry. Two of them at the Bronx Brewery got hired. Um, I got a guy, Isan, who got a scholarship through uh beer culture and then he also took my course at usf and was an intern here i hired him as well uh, i'm gonna go and throw this weird news out there but uh well it's it's early news but there's there's a person i'm really proud of her name is joanne she started working here and um she got she was a recipient of the uh, cicerone scholarship and of a end of their testing program and today she texted me and Tisha and she got a 97 on her first try, 97% on her uh, written exam for a Cicerone. And it's just stuff that I just can't be more proud of, man. It's just like, that's the, that's the coolest part. That's like the coolest part. Well, hats off to you, Chris. I mean, I, I see a lot of what you've spoken to from afar and it, it's, it's super inspirational. It inspires us to try to do good work here in, in Texas. So, so. That's off. Um, one thing you mentioned, uh, you know, time out from family. I want to kind of, uh, I think, you know, we came up, uh, a lot of us, at least we're kind of like this, you know, second wave. I don't know if it, it's a second wave or what, but like, it was like the 90s era boom. Um, and then, you know, we're kind of maybe like the next wave that kind of like, you know, came up around that like, oh, nine to, uh, you know, 2013 when just like we went from like, 
1700 breweries in the country to like over 6,000 and climbing, um, you know, so we're like, we're, we're like 9,000 today. So like, you know, the kind of that, that next wave. And, you know, I feel like not to overgeneralize, but a lot of us were fairly young and, you know, um, and now it's like, you know, a decade, decade and a half almost later. And, you know, not everyone obviously, and, and you know, but a fair amount of us now have families and, and children, and I think have more to, to, to balance than perhaps for, and maybe I'm like overgeneralizing based on my own experience, but that certainly is a lot of what, you know, I've, I've managed in, in, you know, the last episode with, with Marcus Baskerville from Weathered Souls, I, I spoke to my own personal experience quite a bit. So I want to ask you, I mean, you're not only a uh, you know partner to Kristen, um, and then also uh, Braden, you know your your uh, son. So, you know, tell me about that experience being a brewery owner and a committed dad. Yeah, it's um, I mean, on one hand, it's super fun. I mean, it's 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 really cool for him to see someone, you know, that he can look up to that's passionate about what they do, that loves what they do, that doesn't feel like they're doing something that's monotonous. Um, I consider that a major benefit, hopefully to him and his future and letting him see something where he, he feels like he can be whatever he wants to be. Um, and I do try to do my best to instill that to let him know you can do whatever you want. Like you can, you know, you dream it, you achieve it kind of thing. Obviously there's, there's a lot to this job and any job that maybe he doesn't understand yet, which is fine. He'll figure it out as he grows up. He's a smart kid. Um, by the way, he's 14 and in high school now. I know. I just wanted to throw that out on you. Just drop that on you. Make you feel weird. Um, it's, it's, it's so weird. It's so weird. Um, he's so good, man. He's just a smart kid. He's super, he's super passionate. He's super motivated. He's, um, he doesn't, he doesn't take, he doesn't take too much for granted for a 14 year old, which is pretty fun. I think I lucked out with just like a kid that like has a cool perspective, but it is a tough balance to your point. Like it is a, and it has been, you know, like, um, you know, Braden, Braden means the world to me. He is, you know, he's Kristen's son. I met him when he was five. That's when I met them and I've been with them since. And, um, he has taught me a lot. He has, uh, he's grown with me, but man, there's some, there's some, the balance has been tough and it's been tough for me to learn. And I've, and I've grown up in it, you know, like to your point, like we're fairly young. Um, you know, I, I might be on the younger side of that a little bit because, you know, I'm, I'm 35 now. And, um, you know, when I met him, I was in my late twenties, you know, it's a, it, you know, and, and I, I do look back on that and think sometimes like, man, you know, what I would have done, you know, and, and, and how I would have behaved and, and what I didn't know. Um, but I, you know, there are some nights, you know, I, I, I'll talk to Kristen about this sometimes where, you know, she'll, she'll tell me straight up, like there were some nights when I was out doing something, someone showed up from a brewery and I needed to talk to them or whatever and spend time with them. And Raiden would come to her and say, when's Chris coming home? Well, I don't know. I don't know, honey. And he would get sad. 
and it that's not worth it it's not it's not worth it like i it it you know it, it what i what i have built and what we've done is awesome but there are some things like obviously part of that growth as as being a father and 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 making sure that you're you're there at home man it's it's really hard to balance with like a small business growth and and that at the same time because they're both growing right like one is not you know it, it, one is not to sacrifice the other and that, that's that's kind of something that i feel like i've i've tried to learn over the years is is um there are there are sacrifices that need to be made on both sides for sure but i but i don't think at the expense ever really one or the other um and so like you know communication is key making sure that we talk about when these things happen what the expectations are uh being honest with each other about those expectations and i don't just mean like between me and kristen i also mean between me and Braden, um and understanding what what we all are expecting and what we need in order for for this to work but also understanding that we all got stuff to do right um and so yeah it's been a it, it's been a long time coming and it's it's still growing and um it's a tough balance man i mean i think Braden being 14 we have a lot more in common now than we used to uh, uh not always i mean there was i guess the i guess the commonalities have just shifted a lot more for example he's into playing basketball now like he's constantly outside dribbling the ball he's practicing his footwork like he's not he's not like mad when i throw cones down and i'm like all right i'll try this you know he used to get weird about that and now he's down he's always like chris we need to hit the court this weekend i'm like yes sir let's go and so you know we'll go and play and um and those are those are the best days like those are my absolute favorite days and those are um it's the coolest part you know sort of the job is is spending time with them and you know it's just cool to see them grow man it's it's been a tough balance it's been a tough balance and it still is you know traveling and going to festivals and going to conferences and being gone sometimes during the season you know for two three weeks out of the month and coming back and it's like how the how'd you get taller like i you know like what happened like i and and in some ways like obviously it's what you have to do you know when you commit to something like this and there's responsibilities that are the people that are here and the people that believe in it and want to make sure that you you invest back into that you know over time um but being able to communicate with your children and with with your you know significant others and and being able to to come up to with an come up with an understanding between you all on what the true expectations are here you know and and there's compromises you got to make compromises and sacrifices both ways there's some events and stuff that i mean personally i, I i'm at a point now and luckily he, you know he's 14 like i said like we can take them on a lot of these trips now. Like a lot yeah. of what I'm doing is just being like, it's a family trip, you know, like we went to the Firestone Walker Invitational and it was like, we're all three go. And we went, and we went an extra like five days beforehand just to spend time with each other and explore the city and have him eat an In-N-Out burger for the first time, you know, like it was just shit like that, you know, and um, it's great. But then of course I got to bounce away for a couple of days because I'm running a collab with Firestone Walker and that's, uh, rad like i'm not gonna miss that like that's cool as shit so like i'm gonna do it and they were cool with that like all right cool y'all hit the beach i'm gonna go do this and then you know then went to the festival 
And so there's, there's work involved, but I do my best to try to bring the team, if you will. And Kristen's, Kristen's always been good with it. Like in the past, like when he, you know, he was younger and like, I would sometimes try to plan it so that maybe he would, when he was with his father, her and I would go on a trip together, you know, and I would bring her to festivals and stuff. And now that he's older, I can bring him to kind of some of these things. And some of them, he just, he gets a kick out of it. You know, like he went to a festival with me in Memphis, which is where I'm from originally. And we were at Wiseacre pouring beer. And he's like, can I pour? And I'm like, well, no, you're too young. And he's like, can I open the bottle? I was like, sure. So I just like <laughs> let him, I gave him a bottle over and he was just cracking bottles and can't put them back in the bin. And now he was just hanging out with me, you know? And it was just, and it was, it was kind of cool to just have him there. Um, so I, I do my best to balance it. It's tough. It's tough on it's tough on all of us, but um, but I think we're all in a place where we understand each other a lot more. So it's good. I know you, man. You you know, like George is like playing ball now and just active. And I know like you took a bit of a you know a, a bigger backseat, if you will. Like you went to the third row on backseat on like going to stuff because you were the face and brand and everything, and you were everywhere. Um, and now you're really picky about some of those things, which, you know, I love, man. I love, I love getting videos from you that you'll text me about like, check out this bass hit or like, you know, like it's dope. <laughs> oh no, man. I'm yeah. More sports dad these days than, uh, than brewer face of brewery. <laughs> but, uh, um, but, uh, you know, uh, final, final question. Um, you mentioned basketball and, and for those listening, uh, Chris and I probably text more about NBA basketball than any other topic i um i was a basketball player growing up uh still love basketball play at least a couple times a week at least, at least shoot around a couple times a week and um i've always been more of an nba guy than, than the college game and i think the same is true for chris so the question is for you know the new season the 2022 2023 nba season give me your conference champs and your finals champs and then i'll i'll give you mine Oh man, tough question. Um, yeah, for anybody that knows, yeah, we, or that doesn't know, Jeff and I speak, like we probably text nearly weekly <laughs> and I would say it's almost always basketball. Um, for this one real quick, I'm gonna pop up in this six grain Saison oh, from Jester King. Awesome. It's gonna be my last beer. And uh, damn, it's good. Um, <laughs> it's really, really good. I, I was going to share it, but I might not. Um, okay. So, you know, I'm a brawn guy. Like I'm a pretty big brawn guy. You we're, know? By the way, we're, we're not having the goat conversation. <laughs> that'll, that'll, that's not like, what I was saying. Totally torpedo this podcast and make it like. Not what I was saying. That's not what I was saying. <laughs> I'm not into all the, ter the tertiary statistics that Jeff are in. That Jeff is in to kind of like you know, prove something that's wrong, but, <laughs> <laughs> but here's the deal. I would say, all right, Eastern conference. This is, this is, this is a great question. I'm going to say, you know, we got Katie back. We got Kyrie back. We got Steve Nash back. We got the whole Brooklyn crew back. I'm going to say that they do well enough to make it. Mm, I'm actually going to say with Ben Simmons in the lineup, I'm going to, I'm going to say he actually plays this year and I'm going to say they actually beat the Sixers in order to make it to the Western conference finals. 
where the Milwaukee Bucks will destroy them. And I think the Bucks are going to go to the finals and the Eastern Conference finals. You go with that? So just, just to clarify, we've got uh, Bucks winning the championship over coming out of the West. You said who? No, 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 no. Oh, wait, wait, wait. What I'm saying is, is the Bucks are going to win the East yeah. beating the Brooklyn Nets. But I wanted oh, to give a caveat that I think the Nets will beat the Sixers in the round before that. Oh, okay. Okay. That's fair. Which so will be got- fun because you got Harden and Joel Embiid in the Sixers. Well, you have Ben Simmons, you have Kyrie, and you have Katie with Brooklyn. I yeah. think they get further than they have in the past, and they lose in the Eastern Conference Finals to the Milwaukee Bucks, who I think have to go through the Celtics to get there. Okay. Well, I'll chime in and just make it uh, short here. I'll say I got the Bucks too, coming out of the East. I think if Chris Middleton had not gone down, they would have made the finals. Um, I completely agree. So Western I, I got, Conference. I got the Bucks too. Yeah, Western Conference. Uh, you're, All right, you're Western Conference. I'm going to say, this is a tough one. I'm going to say coming back from a full season, Kawhi Leonard and the Clippers. Get the fuck out. Kawhi Leonard and the Clippers win the Western Conference Finals. And I think they beat the Milwaukee Bucks and Kawhi gets his third ring and third uh, Finals MVP. Which, by the way, you know I'm a Braun guy. I'm not a, I, lo- I love Kawhi. I do like him in a vacuum. I'm not a fan of the Clippers. I'm not a whatever. But I do think the last time he took a year off, he went to Toronto and won a finals. And so he took a year off. He's healthy. Him and PG. I think they put it together this year. I think they win the Western Conference finals. I think they actually win a championship, bring the championship back to L.A. Not to my guy, Braun, but whatever. Well, you totally stole my thunder because that was going to be my, uh, my, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you were uh, going to say Clippers over Bucks. I was going to say, hey, I, I got L.A. and I thought, you know, I thought you were going to think, oh, you oh. got my boy Braun, but then, uh, then I was going to like, you know, uh, do a fast one and be like, oh, Clippers. No, I, I think, I think that that's a strong pick. I mean, Kawhi when healthy is just the Terminator, and you know, Paul George is a freak show as well. Um, well, okay, I'm going to change mine on the fly because because uh, he went LA Clips. Uh, well, I, I feel like I, at this point I have to go with my non-sexy uh, pick, which is just chalk. LeBron James and the Lakers. No, they're no, they're I'm sorry. Sorry, they're, sorry, 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 sorry. I mean, they, <laughs> they should be better. I agree. And and LeBron, I mean, I, you know, he, he is playing sensationally, especially for his age. Like, uh, and again, we're not having the goat conversation, but like I have seen statistics within the last several months. Aren't we? Of his, no, I guess on some level we're always having it, but I mean, I have seen like what he has done, like from age, you know, let's just say like 35 on relative to the other greats from it's unbelievable decades. And it, it, I'll give you that, it's truly Staggering. remarkable how he's, yeah. he's not, not falling off. So I'm gonna go chalk then and say that you know, the dubs are just gonna, you know, it's gonna be splash repeat. Brothers. Yeah, they're gonna run, gonna run, run it back for number five. So, uh, I got a feeling, I got a feeling that. We're going to see Memphis go pretty deep, hopefully. I hope Depends so. on how long Jaron Jackson's like hurt, because I know he's hurt for a good amount of the season. But I, I truly, and I think I, I think I texted you this. I'm not sure who I talked to, but I was like, it was during the Memphis Warriors series this last year, and I was like, whoever wins this series is winning the finals. And then the Dubs ended up winning, and then they won the finals. And it was just because I thought that was the challenge. As far as I was concerned, that was like the most – challenging series that I saw in the playoffs for anybody. 
And I and I I could see I could see Braun and the Lakers knocking maybe someone off. I could see the Suns still winning a ton of regular season games or Denver. And then sure. maybe if AD's healthy and fair, they might win a first, maybe even a second round. I don't really believe in the Mavericks anymore. They've lost too much. Yeah. Obviously Luca's a beast, but they've right. lost too much to go deep. So he might knock them off. He might knock off like the Suns or a Denver, but I don't think he's going to get past like the Clippers or, I mean, and look out for Portland. I mean, Dame's back. So. Yeah. And speaking of uh, Denver, I saw clips of Jamal Murray uh, playing some scrimmage games oh. in the off season. He looked good. I mean, if he can do that, uh, it's going to be fun to so have him good. back. So good. Well, uh, so we're on record for the season. We'll see how it goes. Um, uh, I am, I am, I have become a big John Morant fan, even though I've never you know, historically been a Grizzlies fan. I have latched on to, to John Morant just because he's just so next level. So I, I want to see him continue to dominate, and it'll be fun if the Grizzlies made a made a run and maybe rematch with the Dubs in the conference finals. Go Grizz! All right. All right, Chris will be back on the next episode of the show as the host, having a conversation with a brewer of his choosing. That'll air in two weeks' time, so make sure you tune in for that. Visit allaboutbeer.com and follow on social media to support journalism in the beer space and check out patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. I'm Jeffrey Stuffings of Jester King Brewery. Thank you for listening to the Brewer to Brewer podcast. This episode was brought to you by First Tea. First Tea delivers the ingredients and experience brewers need for delicious beers and innovative flavors. Flexible order sizes and direct from farm teas for your next brew. Find out more about First Tea by visiting blog.firsttea.com. That's blog.firsttea.com.